But understanding the trajectory of technology, and again, the dashed line beyond the straight line into the white space, and what that means when that technology line comes underneath a real product with a real capacity to solve business problems in aviation. Now you've just created the future. Welcome to this week's episode of Next Generation Design. I'm your host, Jennifer Piper. This week, we're taking flight and learning how the first certified electric airplane was designed. Bi Aerospace is a Colorado-based innovator in the world of aviation. They've introduced a zero CO2 electric propulsion system that promises not only a cleaner flying machine, but also increased performance and economic benefits. Let's start by welcoming George Bai, the founder and CEO of Bai Aerospace. Can you tell us about your aviation background? I'm George Bai, and I come from a military pilot background engineering from the University of Washington before that, but I spent many years in the Air Force training fighter pilots at the Euro-NATO Joint Jet Pilot Training Program. And then I went on to uh, Desert Storm and uh, Somalia and some other things. But since the mid-1990s, I've been in the industry helping bring advanced concepts into the market for others, Raytheon Flight Safety Program for the T6J PATS. I worked uh, with Boeing for two years on the advanced concept phase of the advanced jet trainer program that they had. They called it T6 at the time. And of course, they've since won the award and are building the next generation of advanced jet trainer. And where does Bi Aerospace fit into the equation? In the last 10 plus years, we've been focused with Bi Aerospace and again, advanced concepts around electric propulsion. And we'll be talking about that throughout the podcast. But my life, my journey has been as a pilot and an engineer, advanced concepts and bringing to market solutions for compelling problems in the marketplace. And electric is very, very special in addressing the new opportunities uh, for the future. So we're very excited to talk about that today, and we'll talk about more of that in the coming few minutes. Thanks, George. I'm excited to hear the possibilities for electric flight. We've also got someone from the design side of things here with us today, Jim Forrester. Jim, can you tell us how you landed at Bi Aerospace? I am Director of Design Engineering at Bi Aerospace. I started my career at General Dynamics a long time ago, right after college, working on F-16s. I then transitioned to working at GE Aircraft Engines and worked there a majority of my career doing design for turbofans. Towards the end of that career there, I uh, was responsible and led a team that essentially leveraged out-of-the-box CAD for the purposes of creating template turbofans that the team could then use to morph from a generic to a unique one. I then transitioned to Siemens PLM, where I kind of perfected those techniques in consulting with clients around the world. And now I'm here at Aerospace leading the design team. George, can you talk a little bit about where aviation fits into today's economy? and why it's important? I'd love to. I think it's very important to understand general aviation plays 
such a critical role in our economy. And whether it's transportation or training, business, taxi, cargo, the support for what we see perhaps as the public for transportation in the airline industry is all supported underneath by general aviation, single engine aircraft, multi-engine aircraft, turboprop aircraft, all performing incredibly important business functions, training functions, transportation functions. And with such an important economic role to play, why is change so important? That fleet is averaging 50 years old. The majority of the aircraft flying today in general aviation average about 50 years old. They were produced in the 1960s and they burn fuel and use motors uh, and their systems are all centered around the technology and the design and capacity of the 1960s, somewhat early 1970s up to maybe the early 1980s. But our fleet is aged very, very greatly aged and in desperate need of replacement, modernization, and of course, a reflection of the current technologies and the opportunities that they present to do things better. Why did you decide to pioneer electric propulsion over traditional power plants? Well, my life has been, you know, the creation of what comes next. That's what I do. That's kind of my DNA, you know, from just after my Air Force days. In fact, even including my Air Force days, I was training in addition to being a pilot instructor trainer. I also taught aerodynamics and in in aerodynamics, I had a two day aircraft design seminar for the advanced jet trainer and advanced fighters. So I was always kind of looking forward to how advanced technologies might be applied to solve problems. Well, let's accelerate forward some years. As I progressed into commercial aviation, defense aviation, some of my general aviation roots began to kind of uh, come back. And in the oh, 10, 15 years ago now, in the opportunities to kind of explore emerging technologies, I was very fortunate to have a tour of the very, very early Tesla R&D facility. Very early. I mean, Roadster pre-development timeframe. Wow. So we're going pretty far back and you got to test drive one of those early Roadster models. What was that like? It was as if I was being transported back to my military days and full afterburner. That little Roadster just accelerated like a rocket. And of course, the vision of Tesla and now EV in general is not a compromise in performance, not a compromise in endurance, but rather a continuing trajectory of technology into what we call white space. Not the known, but a trajectory projection into the future. And what I saw back then, 10, 15 years ago, was the technology projection into the future, known to unknown, and how that emerging electric technology for Tesla way back in the very beginning might also apply to our focus, our life, our 
the, the essence of who we are as a professional, as a pilot, as an engineer, as a conceptual design engineer around what the future might look like. And that's when I took the challenge on these new emerging technologies to create an electric future for aviation. Bi Aviation is obviously a pioneer in this field. Is that what sets you apart from the rest? Well, indeed, we are the pioneer. People couldn't even imagine an electric airplane future. We converted a Cessna 172 to electric propulsion long ago. It had all of a 15-minute flight time. But the possibility in exploring what electric might look like on an airplane was what created the foothold, the, the foundation of, of the future. Can you talk about the progression of the technology and the concept? After the conversion of the um, Cessna 172, we had a purpose-built single-seat electric aircraft that we flew for a couple of years. And of course, now for the last four years, we've been entirely focused on the developmental prototype of the E-Flyer, now progressing into the conformed aircraft, serial number one, which is in assembly today. But if we go back, you know, 10 years ago, of course, we would talk, we'd give presentations like this about the electric future, about what it might look like and what it might mean, not just no CO2, not just no noise, but a compelling business problem. That is the equation of energy cost for electricity produced at scale being much, much less expensive than carbon fuel than petroleum-based fuels, avgas, if you will. One-fifth the operating cost in total, one-tenth the energy cost. What kinds of reactions were you getting during those early presentations? Of course, people were fascinated by the future. We had great fun describing and discussing what the future might look like. Of course, back in those early days, they would ask me, well, George, how long's your extension cord? And Everybody would laugh and, you know, of course, the batteries were too heavy, uh, you know, and so forth. But the key thing, and of course, I would laugh with them because it's true. They were too big and too heavy. But understanding the trajectory of technology, and again, the dashed line beyond the straight line into the white space, and what that means when that technology line comes underneath a real product with a real capacity to solve business problems in aviation. Now you've just created the future. And of course, today, uh, reflecting back, it's been quite a journey. But what pioneering is, what bioaerospace does is recognize these business opportunities. And we literally have pioneered the process all the way through. Of course, Jim's great work along with our engineering team takes these concepts into real aircraft. That's been um, that, that process, building the road, describing how it can be done, and now bringing the product to market. How do we benefit from electric aviation? I have to say, you know, I'm very, very focused and so pleased that we can address climate change from a product perspective, we're not producing CO2. I have to say I'm very, very pleased that the lack of combustion in, in uh, piston engine arrangement 
uh, can reduce noise in a significant way. Not a little, but multi, multi fold. But for a product to succeed in the market, there needs to be a compelling market driving business rationale. The energy cost of electricity as compared to carbon fuels, because it's produced at scale on a grid, grid level, the energy cost per kilowatt to do work is dramatically less than the cost of fuel produced for avgas or jet fuel for turboprops. And literally energy cost about one-tenth that of a fuel-based solution for the same amount of work in the air, so per flight hour, if you will, drives the opportunity for electric aviation like nothing else. It changes the way we fly. It changes the way we operate. It changes the way we train. When you can bring down the cost of flight operations so dramatically, it disrupts the entire paradigm of general aviation. The potential there is truly incredible. I'd love to get into the specifics of the machine itself. Tell us about your two-seat all-electric e-flyer. Fundamentally, an electric motor is incredibly efficient, 95, 96% efficient in converting energy into torque. Now, ultimately, that's what engines and motors do. They convert some kind of energy source into torque for general aviation aircraft. Of course, that drives the propeller and provides thrust for flight. But an electric motor has a very great, about a three-fold, some would say even four-fold advantage in energy conversion efficiency, 95, 96%, and converting electric energy into torque. And of course, what we do in translating that from a design perspective is we have a, a motor that's about 17 or 18 inches in diameter, 17 or 18 inches in diameter, maybe four or five, six inches deep. That's in the nose of the aircraft, creating all of the kilowatts or horsepower needed as compared to a traditional legacy aircraft that has an internal combustion engine that's three feet by four feet by two and a half feet. So a significant change in the dimensions of the size of the propulsion system itself, the motor as compared to a legacy engine. And how does that affect the design of the plane? So all of a sudden, from a design perspective, instead of having a massive area in the front of the airplane for this large three by four by two and a half foot internal combustion engine that requires a tremendous amount of air cooling because it's only 30, 35% efficient, maybe 28% efficient in converting fuel into torque. You ha now have a much smaller dimension, much, much more efficient conversion of energy into torque with an electric motor. And that drives aero efficiency as well because I don't have that cooling drag anymore. I don't have that large flat plate area in the front nose of the airplane. Now it can be very sleek, very efficient in converting energy into torque and therefore less cooling drag is needed, less air is needed to keep the heat energy under control. That allows such efficiency in a very sleek, trim, 
very pretty airplane. There's no fuel in the wings. The wing airfoil can be optimized. The, the battery location uh, for the energy storage can be uh, properly balanced forward and aft of the cabin area. The, the, the possibility for an all new design from tip to tail becomes very real with aerodynamics optimized for the mission. And so we have a very pretty E-Flyer 2 primary trainer as the foundation, as the foundation of the E-Flyer family of aircraft. And how many different models are in that family? Well, we have the E-Flyer 2, two-seat aircraft, followed by the E-Flyer 4, which is a stretch. And again, Jim will tell us very, very nicely how all of the work on the E-Flyer 2 can immediately be translated and transform from a two into a four-seat aircraft very, very efficiently, more than ever before, because of the great software and the team's experience now with that software. Then there's a uh, even larger aircraft, a six-seater, and we'll soon, very, very soon, be talking about a twin eight-seat aircraft, all based on, all going back to all the great work that Jim and the engineering team have done in the foundation by the structures, the aerodynamics, the propulsion system, the EPS, electric propulsion system, built around this small, efficient electric motor in the front, providing incredible amounts of of energy and horsepower to provide just what's needed for, for thrust. The battery system that's providing the storage for that energy. And of course, the great cabin and advanced technology to perform the flight training mission for the E-Flyer 2, the advanced training mission and air taxi for the E-Flyer 4, and then beyond even to larger aircraft with more capacity, more payload, more speed, and more range. Has your company found the COVID-19 pandemic challenging to navigate? Oh my, yes. What a challenge. What a challenge. And, and here we are, <laughs> here we are in the, you know, one of the most vital and important timeframes in this pivot from conceptual design into preliminary design and then preliminary design into conformity and you know, completing our development work alongside a flight test with the prototype and you know, all this focus, all this attention, and of course all the requirements for communication with our tier one suppliers, with the FAA, and then lockdown. Just crushing, just, you know, we can't move, we can't breathe, we can't talk, we can't, but I have to say, I am so honored by an incredible team who persisted and worked hard from home. An incredible amount of uh, effort was done and successfully so despite these challenges from an engineering perspective, we advanced into conformity over that period of time. Can you tell us more about that growth? Our market expanded by a factor of two. We went from 300 purchase deposits, units, units in our production backlog to over 700 over that wow. time period. Tremendous market response despite the pandemic. We continue to work with the FAA and our 
system-specific certification programs, the 14 or 15, I think we're now at 16 or so, continue to advance and, and through review. So despite the pandemic, our engineering team did a fantastic job. The market continued to recognize the benefit of electric, and we, we more than doubled our backlog. The relationship with the FAA, despite the communication issues, we fought through and were able to provide and have reviewed the certification program through its various steps. So I have to say, while unimaginable challenge with the pandemic and still persisting today, the team really rallied and we continue to progress. Talking more about impact, how might electric aviation affect how pilots are trained in the future? The internal combustion engine has always been and done a fantastic job in providing propulsion for the uh, light aircraft fleet, including primary trainers, advanced trainers. We all have become familiar with this device in the front of the airplane. I trained in a Cessna 172, got my license, uh, like so many hundreds and thousands of pilots before and after me. However, the internal combustion engine is unique to general aviation. When you progress in your career, you progress to turboprops and turbofans. And the characteristic of a turboprop or a turbofan, of course, is the turbine, high RPM, relatively speaking, and torque and temperature management, generally a single lever kind of control. And more of the focus for the pilot as they progress in their career then is not just engine management, but really communication, navigation, and of course, flight skills. Unfortunately, back in the single engine training fleet, much attention must be given to the internal combustion engine because of the dual ignition system, the requirement for uh, propeller and carb heat and mixture, there's a great deal of attention needed for this operation of the engine. And of course, what we should be doing is focusing on flying the airplane, learning to fly, learning to navigate, learning to communicate. So how does that change with an electric motor? An electric motor is much, much more similar to a turboprop or a turbofan in how it's operated. Single lever, it's torque, it's a torque providing thrust. So it's, it's literally allowing the student pilot, basic primary pilot or even advanced pilot to focus on flying and learning flying skills, communication and navigation, rather than a tremendous focus on magnetos and fuel mixture and, and so forth, carb heat, uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of fun things. Therefore, our, our view is likely some of the hours and training that would normally be against learning how to operate this internal combustion engine can, can be trimmed and the training time actually reduced because less attention is needed for all of the, the sophisticated details of an internal combustion engine as opposed to a relatively simple one moving part, one moving part, all electronic 
electric motor. In terms of market, what was the motivation behind selecting the flight training market for the E-Flyer 2? The configuration of the aircraft, of course, is designed around the mission, the flight training mission. And as I mentioned, the production of the fleet of general aviation aircraft focused almost entirely on the 1960s, some into the 1970s, a little bit into the 1980s. But that fleet of general aviation aircraft doing the flight training mission today is becoming obsolete. I mean, literally, imagine training the next generation of pilots on an aircraft that's 50 years old. That literally is what we're doing today. Literally is what we're doing today. So we have an obsolete fleet that needs replacement. We also have a tremendous operating cost an energy cost advantage, of course, with electric. So the incentive for that, for that transition to electric is very great because we're dealing with an obsolete fleet. So the users, the flight schools, are very keen, of course, to get this operating cost advantage along with a new technology and a brand new airplane. Perhaps even more interesting behind that is the number of retirements of our pilots flying in today's airlines here and around the world. And the replacement of those pilots is becoming a very urgent need. What's the growth forecast and how urgently do we need pilots? The trajectory for pilot demand and the growth of transportation, not just in the U.S., but in Europe and around the world. Tremendous growth forecast for Asia. And the number of pilots that Boeing and CAE and other airline business development uh, studies have determined is a four or even five-fold increase in the number of pilots that we have as compared to today. A four or five-fold increase as compared to the number of pilots we have today. So the obsolete fleet needs to be replaced, most certainly. The energy cost provides a great incentive for that. But quite frankly, it's not just an urgent, immediate need. It's a long-term need. It's a 5, 10, and 20-year need and an expanding, growing need. So we're, we're delighted to focus on the training market initially because it is a very great requirement, a very interesting business need, and of course sets the foundation for the, the larger aircraft, E-Flyer 2 to 4, E-Flyer 4 to the 6-seater and the 8-seat uh, twin. I'd like to know more about the capacity for electric airplanes. Can these hold the same amount of weight as traditional aircraft? Indeed. In fact, we have as much or more capacity. We have a wider, more comfortable cabin. We're faster. As I mentioned, the airplane is very sleek and aerodynamic. We have about twice the aero efficiency of a a legacy aircraft. Twice. Twice the aerodynamic efficiency of a conventional legacy aircraft. Again, because we're so aerodynamic and sleek, the nose of the aircraft is very trim, as I mentioned. So there's no compromise in terms of speed, performance, rate of climb. In fact, being electric, we don't have density altitude issues. So as we climb, we don't lose capacity for for horsepower we continue with just as much energy as we had at sea level very very interesting and how that 
translate and in, translates into operations. But the key thing here is there's no loss in capacity. There's no loss in load, speed, range. In fact, we surpass the conventional. They're just, you, you might say like an electric car today, not the early generation electric cars, but today's electric cars, you know, whether you call it the ludicrous zone or whatever you want to call it. Oh my gosh. Talk about acceleration and performance. It's amazing. And what about endurance? Jim and our design team are designing the amount of energy storage to meet the mission requirement of the aircraft's purpose. The amount of energy storage is matched to the mission requirement for the design and purpose of the aircraft. E-Flyer 2 is a three-hour aircraft. That's because the typical syllabus, training syllabus requirement, the typical flight is about an hour to an hour and a half uh -huh. for primary training. So we have designed the aircraft to have twice that requirement. Very, very robust additional energy for reserves, gives confidence to our, our customers. And of course, that's why we have such a wonderful backlog of units in the production bank, if you will. How far can the battery pack get these aircrafts? The E-Flyer 4 has twice the battery pack size of the E-Flyer 2. And that's because the E-Flyer 4 has a larger mission envelope. There's more batteries twice the storage capacity of the two to perform broader missions with greater utility and greater payload and, of course, more speed. So um, the, the answer is not a limitation, but rather the proper application of the amount of energy stored against the, the mission of the aircraft. With any new technology, particularly with transportation and even more so with air transport, safety questions are raised. So with that in mind, what can you tell us about the safety of electric aircraft? We have the opportunity with new technology around electric to, to create an amazingly safe aircraft with redundancies never before imagined. I mean, literally all the way down to a single cell and a cell within a module a module against other modules, system string against one string completely redundant, and of course to the battery management system and, and beyond. At every level we have safety and monitoring and disconnect and fusing. We have mechanical, physical safety. And of course we even on top of that, we have a full airplane safety parachute. So incredible amounts of safety and redundancy monitoring as never before, as never before. We're very, very proud of our aircraft and it's designed for safety, built for safety, and will be operated with safety in mind. How is the concept and the realization of electric aviation being received by pilots? It's kind of interesting, you know, the new generation of pilots, they expect electric. I mean, they can't even imagine something not being electric. Their view is, of course, it's going to be digital. Of course, it's going to be electric. That is the future. That's my future. That's what I embrace. And of course, most of us think 
well, you know, we've been operating conventional fueled aircraft for so many years and decades and, and so forth. Well, that generation, of course, is very interested in the transition. But the new young people coming into aviation, their expectation from their mobile devices to the computers, their expectation is, of course, it will be electric. Kind of an interesting generational view of uh, where we are today and what the future looks like. And does the process of certifying an electric airplane differ from traditional aircraft? The difference, of course, for certification is not the aircraft, but rather the propulsion system. And so replacing avgas fuel tanks with batteries and an internal combustion engine with an electric motor, that is, of course, the pioneering difference and how that would be applied into the, into the structure, the uh, weight and balance, the CG, what the differences might be from a safety system perspective, where the landing gear might be, et cetera, et cetera. All of those, I would say, nuances do, of course, you know, apply to each of the features of the airplane. Does the design of the aircraft affect the certification process? It's important to note that the majority of the aircraft is quite classic in its layout. Very, very normal. The FAA is quite happy to work with us in that regard. The pioneering piece of it is the propulsion system aspect. And of course, that's where we give special attention and work very closely with the FAA and how the, the, the batteries are arranged. What are the safety systems around the batteries? And I mean down to the cell, up to the module, module to module, two separate redundant strings of modules, and of course going into the battery management system providing the electricity for the motor controller and the motor. So all of that, and, uh, and also of course the motor itself, is a process of working together closely with our friends at the FAA to describe the technology, describe its function, and then describe how we test to make sure it functions properly against all of the safety criteria, all of the extremes, and bring a great new electric aircraft product to market as a normal category 14 CFR 23 aircraft. Would the average person look at one of your planes and immediately know it was different than the traditional aircraft we're used to seeing? The E-Flyer is a very traditional aircraft, very traditional. And 90% of the airplane is very, very familiar to any pilot. We're, you know, some of us uh, see in the media some of these uh, various concepts and they People kind of wonder, well, will that, will that even fly? Or, you know, maybe they're vertical takeoff or they have some other kind of interesting configuration. And people are kind of going, wow, that's really cool, but what is it? Our roots, our view of the world is very, very conventional, very conservative. And Jim and our engineering team, you look at the E-Flyer aircraft and you go, that's magnificent it's cool it's sleek beautiful lines but very very conventional 
Nobody looking at that airplane would go, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before. Quite the contrary, they would go, that's the sleekest, coolest design I think I've ever seen. But conventional wings, conventional propeller, conventional tail, epinage, you know, the, the configuration is everything you would come to know and expect for the next generation of aircraft. Advanced structures, advanced carbon, advanced aerodynamics, but still conventional aerodynamics, conventional tractor propeller system. Let's hear more about the design process for the eFlyer. Jim, how is your process different from the typical aircraft design approach? Based on my old experience at uh, General Dynamics and GE, the, the process hasn't changed too much. And those OEMs, uh, I shouldn't say those specific OEMs, but OEMs in general, they still use CAD as kind of a 3D drafting board. And so they, they design the parts in isolation of each other. And then at the end, they build them all up together in what's called a bottoms-up bomb. They, they have a bunch of components and they put them together to create an assembly of a system. And they typically don't see that till the very end, if at all. So as a result, the parts show up, metal, and they put them together. And because they were designed independent of each other, they oftentimes, most times, don't fit together correctly. How does the team manage those inconsistencies? This problem was recognized at GE and also the challenge of trying to take the information from conceptual design, which was just an aerodynamic shape for the turbofan flow path, and try to leverage that with a template of CAD models to go from a generic flow path and then provide an updated unique flow path, slightly smaller, slightly bigger, slightly longer, and adapt that template to it. And what were the takeaways from that experience in terms of process? So two things were observed to be a result of that. And that is we were able to do that generic morph from a generic flow path to a unique one. But as a result we got the models very early on, and instead of the models being designed independent of each other, they were designed as a whole system. So in this process, it's called top-down design. We have a aerodynamic shape, the prime input of the product, and it gets broken down and is the output of that are components that are all designed in relationship to each other. So as a result... The first engine that used this process had very, very, very few orders of magnitude less problems at uh, assembly than the, the usual bottoms up process. And so we had the models very early on and we could tell if there was challenges to them because we had both this top down design process that would enable the uh, creation of the models in relationship to each other. But then we also, since we had them so early in the design process, we could put them together into a bottoms up uh, assembly. So I've got components and I want to make a system uh, of them. And we could kind of look at them and make sure, yes, this virtually goes together correctly. A perfect explanation of the concept of a digital twin. What were the benefits of this virtual first process? So in the long term, 
you can morph from one engine to another, but in the short term, the benefits weren't anticipated, but even bigger. So I brought that process to Siemens, uh, kind of perfected it there. And then I brought that process to uh, my aerospace as well. Can you map out how you leveraged the digital twin within the top-down design structure? The airplane is going to, in the end, probably have somewhere around 3,000 parts, including all the bolts and washers and, and nuts and all that stuff. We're talking about roughly 300 parts that this top-down structure produces. It's the primary structure, the flight controls, and some secondary structure as well. But the output of that, a casual observer would look at it and say, well, that's a plane from the outside. It's, it's all the stuff inside that then we have to add. So we are able to take that shape and update the models at the bottom and respond to it in our bottoms-up bomb. So the virtual twin has enabled us to do that. But what I was really planning for and, and presented to, to George and the team when I hired in was this short-term benefit. So you said that was related to unexpected benefits. What did you uncover? In my experience, the output of preliminary design is, is always fixed. The aerodynamic shape is never going to change. It's perfect. Go. And the design process is a process of turning unknowns into knowns. And as you go through that process, you discover things that weren't anticipated in preliminary design. And you can either kind of massage it as best you can within that preliminary aerodynamic shape or recognize the better solution is to go back to that preliminary aerodynamic shape and update it so that you can make the right design decision for that. So we've done that. As George said, the airplane is very traditional in nature and the novel aspect of it is the e-propulsion system that we have. And we've gone through a process of turning unknowns into knowns. And in that process, we've had essentially two major aerodynamic changes to the plane. What are those two changes? And are they obvious from the outside? A casual observer wouldn't be able to tell, but we've stretched the plane once and we've changed the nose of the plane once. But those two things were huge because you're changing the primary shape. And so these, these types of changes always happen. They always come late. And, but because we have this top-down structure that with the change of the aerodynamic shape and the response of the components below, we were able to do this with a very small team in about a week. So to actually do a change like that, it took about eight people to essentially redesign the entire plane in one week. And these tools are so efficient if used in the right way. Keep in mind, they were doing this at home during COVID over a Wi-Fi through a VPN to our servers that are housed at Bioaerospace. And it, it was amazing. Uh, and they did that twice. In total, I think we've had 15 changes to the aerodynamic shape. Two of them were, were major. It's incredible that none of the workflow was interrupted and you were able to continue to design by working remotely during COVID-19. With that seamless ability to make those major changes, can you talk a little bit about the role of communication and collaboration in the design process? Yeah, so 
the a small team manages that top-down design bomb, but the whole team is involved in what we call the bottoms-up bomb. Um, it's the entire plane, all 3,000 parts that are put together. And again, because we had all the models so early on in the process, we were able to essentially have an agile design process where we would have weekly meetings where the whole team would get together and discuss what they've accomplished in the previous scrum or week and what they're going to accomplish in the next. And then we were able to, during that meeting, do what we call a live drive, where we actually have the airplane open in the CAD system, which is pretty amazing too. All 3,000 components are up in the CAD system at once. We can see them in context of each, each other. Typical CAD systems, you can only open a fraction of that before the CAD starts to get unstable and will, add, and will crash. But the Siemens NX system enables us to open the entire plane and observe it at one time. And so we're able, again, to virtually look at the plane and make sure everything is fitting together correctly or do uh, what-if scenarios on different designs as well. Now that we have a much better understanding of these next-generation electric aircraft, let's fly a little bit further into the future. George, what's on the horizon for bioaerospace? We have, in our vision, going well beyond the E-Flyer 2 trainer and the E-Flyer 4 advanced trainer and air taxi aircraft. We certainly see in the broader, larger requirement for transportation, again, here in the U.S. and around the world, the requirement for a regional capability, a regional twin motor aircraft that has a larger capacity for for people or or for cargo. And we have in mind an eight-seat twin twin motor that will take us into the future for a larger, faster, higher, farther performance in providing business solutions with all-electric aircraft. So everything that we've built on the two and the four takes us into the future. It takes us into higher, farther, faster aircraft. All of that technology is projected and creates the the opportunity for these uh, new, greater capacity designs. And Jim and the team uh, will be challenged as we complete one aircraft to roll right into the next design, creating this, this next remarkable aircraft for our markets, our friends, fellow pilots, and all the use cases that uh, general aviation has served around the world. How do you see the aerospace industry as a whole evolving in the next, say, five to 10, even 15 to 20 years out? In the next five years, we see these aircraft being certified, the the E-Flyer 2 and the E-Flyer 4, what we call the E-Flyer X, that six-seat aircraft, and the twin, the E-Flyer 800, we call it. The twin aircraft is probably right at the end of that five-year timeline or so. And then a family of aircraft from there would evolve over 10 years. And as we get into 15- and 20-year timeline, of course, even larger, faster aircraft begin, and we get into you know, the size and capacity of a regional airliner, for example, and advanced technologies for energy storage 
electric energy storage in particular enable these even larger aircraft to come to come into uh, operations. And what's your outlook for the demand in terms of electric powered aircraft? There is a tremendous business case for electric in energy cost and operating savings. So as the technology progresses, the aircraft design can progress to these larger aircraft with more capacity and more speed and more range. And I see the electric future as the baseline for transportation, not just on the ground, but in the air and, of course, by aerospace, pioneering these new aircraft and this new capacity for use around the world. What's the next breakthrough in aerospace technology? Nice. Very nice. I like that question. Well, (laughs) electricity is we have electricity in its conventional form. And we have an electric motor, very conventional, one moving part, magnet, arrangement of magnets, converting that, those electric fields, magnetic fields into torque. And as you might imagine, there may be other ways to use that kind of energy and configurations that allow heat transfer, other mechanisms of providing thrust uh, may involve even greater performance. But Within the convention of what's known today, energy storage and what we call battery cells, and there's other other types of energy storage, but generally speaking, our focus the next five and 10 years is around the battery cell. And generally speaking, conversion of that energy into thrust involves an electric motor and battery cells. There is certainly what comes next, and that's very, very exciting. We'll see how we progress there in the, in the coming, even in the, in the next few years. But by aerospace is always looking at beyond the line to the dashed line into what we call white space. What is that future possibility? And we've got a great team. I'm very, very proud of our, of our team that can imagine that future together with me. Well, we're certainly looking forward to discovering what lies beyond in that white space. A big thanks to both of you for joining us today and congratulations on all of the success of BioAeroSpace. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in to today's episode. Join us next time for more discussions about the latest in design innovation and software applications. I'm your host, Jennifer Piper, and this has been Next Generation Design.